Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter. Uh, joining me this week on the show, we've got Curtis Blades in the main event of UFC Fight Night this weekend, facing Alexander Volkov in the heavyweight division. We'll talk about the state of the heavyweight division as we continue on this show. And Canadian Jillian Robertson joins me to discuss perhaps becoming the first Canadian to win at the UFC Apex. We saw Felicia Spencer fall short. Charles Jordan, unfortunately, falls short, uh, although putting up a, a great fight against Andre Feely last weekend. We have Marc-Andre Berrio and uh, Jillian Robertson on this card, which was supposed to take place in Saskatoon, but we have not had a single Canadian win at the UFC Apex. We don't have a single Contender Series winner from Canada. Nobody's won at these UFC Apex events yet. Let's break that streak. I talked to Jillian Robertson about that this week on the show. I do want to start on a bit of a somber note. Uh, Derek Salvatin, one of Joe, uh, my co-host Joe Valtellini's uh, very best friends in the world, passed away suddenly this week. He uh, also happens to be a neighbor of mine. Um, and uh, it's uh, very, very sad that uh, he passed suddenly last week. And uh, I want to send my best to uh, Joe and, uh, of course, the other friends and family of Derek who might be listening to the show. Uh, Derek was a, a very, very important figure in Canadian combat sports. He's uh, been involved in combat sports for uh, upwards of a decade in this country and uh, was basically Joe's right-hand man when it came to running the gym, running bazooka kickboxing, and uh, also helped out um, as a production assistant for Glory. And uh, anybody who is from Canada will uh, will know of Derek and uh, and all the important work he's done in this space. And uh, just a very sad, uh, sad situation just passed away very suddenly and uh, again I want to send the best to to Joe who uh, will be back next week and we can discuss this a little bit more about uh, him and Derek's relationship and uh, and of course to Derek's friends and family and to my neighbors who you know all knew Derek and uh, are very saddened uh, about his passing so we'll move forward and uh, we'll move forward with Derek in our minds and uh, in in our hearts and uh, thanks to everybody who uh, donated money to the GoFundMe that was started by Joe and uh, Joe's uh, other business partner, Troy Sheridan, who uh, is a fellow kickboxer. So this weekend, we have a, a card headlined by Curtis Blades and Alexander Volkov in the heavyweight division. And the heavyweight division is interesting. And I wrote about this in my uh, piece that I wrote for TSN.ca this week, Reading Between the Lines, where I take a look at the uh, the MMA uh, odds for these events and kind of break them down. And I mentioned that the reason Curtis Blades is a minus 430 favorite against Alexander Volkov is that Volkov just doesn't have a ton of paths to victory here. On the feet, Curtis Blades is much improved. Uh, you know, Volkov can try to take him apart from distance, but in a smaller cage, you're going to have Curtis Blades closing that distance and utilizing his wrestling. And uh, I just don't know how Volkov wins this fight. It's one of those situations where if he does it, we're, we're going to have to see how he does it because I, I'm interested to know what the path could be for Alexander Volkov in this fight. It's a, it's a tough matchup, but the crazy thing about it is if you look at the heavyweight division, you look at the top four. You got Stipe, the champion, Cormier, the number one contender, number two, Francis Ngannou, number three, Curtis Blades. If you go down the list from there, there's a chasm in terms of the talent level. Like, let me pull up the rankings here, but just looking at how much of a favorite Nganu or Blades would be against any of the other contenders in the division, like, in my opinion, I think Volkov is the next best guy behind Curtis Blades. And, and, and you'll say, well, Derek Lewis beat him, but if you go back and watch that fight, I mean, Derek Lewis was was 11 seconds away from losing that fight. 
and he, he caught him with a he blitzed him, caught him, caught him with a big one, knocked him out. That can always happen in the heavyweight division. But in terms of just sheer talent, I put Volkov ahead of Junior Dos Santos. I put Volkov ahead of Rosenstrike, and I put Volkov ahead of uh, of Lewis. In my opinion, I mean, you could probably um, take those three individuals and mix and match, and then even Derek Lewis in the mix, probably those four individuals, Lewis, Dos Santos, Rosenstrike, and Volkov, and you can kind of adjust it, and I probably wouldn't be able to argue with you much. But what can't be argued is that there is a top tier in this division that features Stipe, Cormier, Francis Ngannou, and Blades. And then from there, I mean, feel free to sort them however you please, but there's a, a massive gap. I think if you took Blades and you put him against any of those others, whether it's Rosenstrike, whether it's Junior Dos Santos, Volkov, he's going to be at least a 3-1 to favorite. And you can say the same for Francis Ngannou. Ngannou should be at least a 3-1 to favorite against all of those individuals. Even in a Lewis rematch, you th- I, th- I think you'd have to make him at least a 3-1 to favorite, even though he lost to Lewis in uh, one of the worst fights in UFC history, most disappointing fights in UFC history. So when you look at Blades... The fact that he is a minus 430 favorite against a guy the caliber of Volkov speaks volumes about how far ahead he is than the other challengers in the division. Now, the interesting thing is we've got Cormier versus Stipe. We know that this is going to be Cormier's last fight, but there are starting to be rumblings that it might also be Stipe's last fight. So if you take Stipe and Cormier out of this division, you basically got two guys. you got Francis Ngannou and you got Curtis Blades, and Ngannou has beaten Blades on both occasions where they've met. So, unfortunately, if you're Curtis Blades, if you face Francis Ngannou for a third time and you lose, you're in no man's land. Like, because I just don't know who's going to beat Ngannou and become the champion if that's how, you know, this whole thing unfolds. We're going to have to see some new challengers emerge. But, uh, I mean, we've seen Augusto Sakai. He's he's on a winning streak. But, I mean, you put him in there with Blades or, or Francis Ngannou, I think we know how that one's going to go. So, just judging by what we have left in this division, like I think Volkov and, and, and Ganu is a fight that you could make down the line, but if Blades makes easy work of Volkov, then it's going to hurt his stock. So I just don't know what you have that is going to pose a challenge to either of these guys moving forward in the heavyweight division. The heavyweight division could get awful boring awful fast if Stipe and Cormier both retire. I still think Stipe versus Blades is a fight you could make, but I certainly don't think that Blades should get a title shot before Francis. Now, that being said, I think Francis versus Stipe is is more intriguing now than it was then. I think Francis was a little bit more raw. You know, Francis mentioned to me after his last fight, where he completely dispatched of Jarzinho Rosenstrike in early, early fashion, uh, in vicious fashion as per usual with him, is he wishes he had more cage time. He he wishes the fights would go on longer because he wants to not only show his skills that he's uh, learned over the years, but also to make sure that they're applicable in, in competition during an actual fight. But he wants to show how much he's improved. He doesn't want people to think he's just this knockout artist. He, he wants to show his, the improvements to his ground game, his takedown defense. And I think that a rematch with Stipe would allow him that opportunity if the fight gets past the first minute or two. Because that's when I think Francis is at, is at his absolute most dangerous, although I would argue that he's probably dangerous at any point in time given how hard he hits. So... The heavyweight division right now, I mean, the best thing that could happen to it is if Volkov somehow manages to find a way to beat Blades. Uh, I just don't think that that's very likely. I just think that that would, that would add a lot more intrigue to the division, but I don't know. 
I'd like to see a Rosenstrike versus Blades fight at some point in time too. But I also think Blades would be at least a 3-1 to favorite in that fight as well. So uh, that's that fight. I think that it's uh, a, a great fight. And uh, the co-main event, to me, I think is an unbelievable fight. Shane Burgos versus Josh Emmett. That is going to be a fun one. I'm extremely high on Shane Burgos. I think Shane Burgos has a shot to be a title challenger in this division. He's a really, really good fighter. If you if you look at where he hits his opponents, at the end of his punches, um, you know, he, he does tend to get hit sometimes and against Josh Emmett. That can be a problem. But I just personally think that Burgos is uh, a bit of a step ahead of Emmett at this point in time. I, I'm surprised the line is only minus 145. I think it should probably be steeper. But uh, Shane Burgos, I think, is uh, is a talented, talented guy who can win this fight in a variety of ways. Now, whether or not that plays out, we'll see. I mean, with Josh Emmett, all it takes is one. This guy can hit. Um, he'll hurt you. If he, if you give him the opportunity to hit you, he will hurt you. Uh, he's he's one of the best power strikers, I think, in the uh, featherweight division. And then looking down the rest of the card, I think there are some intriguing fights. The one that really stands out to me is uh, the, the minus 225 favorite Brianna Van Buren against Tisha Torres. If you look at who Torres has fought, now she hasn't won since, I think it's December of 2017 against Michelle Waterson. But here are her opponents since then. Jessica Andrade, Ioana Janjacek, Zhang Veili, and Marina Rodriguez, who I think is a real up-and-comer in the division. And now you're putting her against another up-and-comer in Brianna Van Buren. But the question that I have here is, I mean, Torres has really good takedown defense. And if Van Buren can't take her down, I think Torres is going to win this fight pretty easily, honestly. I think that if this fight is on the feet, Tisha Torres is going to have a pretty marked advantage in this fight. I think her technical striking is, is going to be way higher than what Van Buren's been facing in the past. The level of competition that Van Buren has fought um, is is nowhere near the caliber of striking that Tisha Torres brings to the table. Let's not sleep on Tisha Torres. I still think she's a very good fighter. I still think that she uh, has, as long as she can keep this fight standing, and I think she can. Let me let me look at some Tisha Torres stats, but she's not one who tends to get taken down very often, if I'm not mistaken. I'm You know, if I'm wrong, I, I will gladly admit it, but looking at her record... She got taken down once by Marina Rodriguez, twice by Zhang. Of course, Joanna didn't try to take her down. Well, it says that Andrade took her down 10 times, so maybe I should uh, should stand corrected. But her takedown defense before that, I believe, was pretty solid. Now, Van Buren is... Uh, her path is, is obviously to take her down, keep her there, and keep this fight off the feet by all co- at all costs. Um, her takedown accuracy from her last fight, she landed 3 of 4, so she certainly is... Uh, good in that regard. If you look at Tisha Torres' takedown defense, only 52%. And she doesn't really go for takedowns either. So, I mean, the path for Brianna Van Buren is pretty clear. But I, I do think that if this fight is standing, that Tisha Torres has a good shot of uh, of pulling off the upset here. Roxanne Modafferi versus Lauren Murphy, the second fight of the night. And people are always saying, ah, oh, why, why is this fight so early? This could be a number one contenders fight. They want you to watch the whole card. I bring this up time and time again. 
these people get all offended about, oh, I can't believe this person's so low on the card. I actually asked Cody Garbrandt about this last week. I said, do you feel like you got, you should be in the in the co-main event when uh, Sanhagen versus Sterling's on the same card? And he says, I'd rather fight first. If I could fight first and go and eat dinner afterwards, I'd be much happier. These fighters don't care where they on, are on the card. If they're not in line to get pay-per-view points, and let, let's face it, 98% of the roster are not in that conversation, might even be more than that. They don't care where they fight. I don't think they take it personally. I think Roxanne, Roxanne Modafferi lives in Vegas. She can go home afterwards. <laughs> It'll be like 3 in the afternoon when she fights. 3.30 in the afternoon local time. We've also got a very interesting uh, debutante in this, uh, on this card. you got uh, Max Roscoff taking on Austin Hubbard. Roscoff is taking the fight on short notice. But uh, Roscoff has some really strong wrestling credentials, wrestles at NC State, which is a good program, and is an ACC champion. So he comes to the UFC with great wrestling credentials. But go back and watch Austin Hubbard's last fight. Austin Hubbard versus Marco Madsen. Marco Madsen's an Olympic-level wrestler. And Hubbard was giving him problems in that fight. So if you take a kid like Roscoff, who's, who's got not a lot of experience, he's very crafty, good takedowns for sure, very solid prospect. I think there's a reason why Hubbard opened as the favorite and is now, unfortunately for him, the line has moved to plus 160. The public support is strongly coming in on Roscoff. But Hubbard gave Madsen some problems, and Hubbard has some, some pretty vicious kicks. He's, he's good at uh, keeping the fight on the feet when he needs to. They've unfortunately keep putting him in there with grapplers. I mean, if you look at who Hubbard's faced, he's fought uh, Davi Hamosh, who's a, a former ADCC gold medalist, Marco Madsen, and uh, his one win was against Kyle Prepolek. Uh, who isn't really known for his grappling. But Hamosh, Madsen, and Roscoff, you're, like, you're putting this guy up against pretty high-level grapplers. But I think Hubbard um, could give Roscoff some problems in this fight. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, a, a solid nickname debut, Justin James, whose nickname is Guitar Hero, will be facing Frank Camacho. Um, we had a situation in Las Vegas this week. Matt Frivola was supposed to be on the card facing Frank Camacho. However, Billy Quarantillo, who fought a couple weeks ago for the UFC, ended up uh, having two positive tests for COVID-19. And out of caution, Frivola was pulled from the fight. Now, Frivola said that he took the antibody test, and that came up positive that he had uh, previously had the coronavirus. I think he said in March he thought he had it. But uh, still out of an abundance of caution, they decided to pull Frivola from the fight, which I think is the right move. And the reason why is because the, incubi- the incubation period for COVID-19 is very, like, there still isn't a whole lot of science behind it. We still don't know how, how it incubates, how long it can incubate for, whether somebody who's had it can have it in their system. And, and I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to be an uh, epidemiologist. I'm here to break down mixed martial arts. But from what I understand, the, the research indicates that uh, the incubation period is, is still, there's still some work that needs to be done in terms of the details behind that so again out of an abundance of caution the UFC has have decided to take that fight off the card and uh, they've replaced Frivola with uh, Justin Janes and Justin Janes is uh he has a pretty solid reputation in Las Vegas so will be I think he's a coach at Extreme Couture if I'm not mistaken I mentioned uh, Jillian Robertson is on the show later on taking on Courtney Casey that's uh, a fun one Casey looked great in her debut getting a first round submission and, uh, of course, Jillian Robertson, I think, is a real up-and-comer in the division. I, we'll hear from Jillian a little bit later on in the show. 
The other Canadian on the card, Marc-Andre Berrio, probably his last chance in the UFC. Uh, he's on a three-fight losing skid, and he's against another individual on a three-fight losing skid in Oster- Oscar Pachota. Uh, this is a loser leaves town match, in my opinion. I, I don't know um, what the future is for either of these guys if they uh, don't end up winning. Uh, you know, Berrio, very decorated from his TKO days, was a two-division champion at middleweight and light heavyweight. He's been a middleweight in the UFC. He's been in close fights. I mean, he I think his fight against Jotko was a split decision. And Jotko, we saw we saw how good he was a couple weeks back. And that's a, that's an interesting one. Roosevelt Roberts quick turnaround against Jim Miller. This fight's taking place at 160 pounds. Jim Miller a 2 to 1 underdog in that fight against Roosevelt Roberts who's been a favorite in all of his UFC fights as well as his Dana White contender series fights. So overall, this is uh, this is an interesting card. There's some uh, some certainly some interesting matchups here, and uh, next week I'm really looking forward to that card as well. You got uh, Dan Hooker against Dustin Poirier in the main event, Mike Perry against Mickey Gall, Aspen Ladd, Sarah McMahon, the Crochet Boss Maurice Green against uh, Jean Volante, uh, Tanner Bozer and Felipe Alin. So Tanner Bozer, if we don't have a Canadian winning this week, at least we got another Canadian next week. We got two of them actually. Uh, you got Kyle the Monster Nelson against Sean Woodson, Luis Pena against uh, Kama Worthy. Uh, Kyle Dawkins getting uh, his call to the big show against Brandon Allen. That's a great fight. Those are two top prospects in the middleweight division. Uh, Mauro Romero Barella, who uh, actually lost to the aforementioned uh, Courtney Casey a couple weeks back, take on Miranda Maverick at the card as well. And uh, the UFC have uh, announced a lot of their future events. If you go to uh, my Twitter account, I I showed uh, some screenshots uh, that were taken from uh, the ESPN MMA YouTube page where they announced these fights. Uh, Megan O'Levy interviewed Dana White. So we can go through uh, some of these particular fights. But uh, UFC 251 looks stacked. What a main card. You got Usman versus Burns, welterweight title. Volkanovski versus Holloway, featherweight title. Jan versus Aldo for the vacant bantamweight title. Andrade versus Nami Yunus rematch. That's going to be fun. Amanda Hibosh versus Paige Van Zant in the uh, women's flyweight division. It might be Paige Van Zant's last UFC fight as she has uh, not made it a secret that she's a free agent after this fight and would not mind joining her husband, Austin Vanderford, in Bellator. And then you've got a really nice prelim card. Look at this. Volkan Uzdemir versus Yuri Prokhashka. From uh, from who was uh, a big name in Ryzen. Eliseu Zaleski dos Santos against Muslim Salikov. That'll be a great striking uh, matchup in the welterweight division. Uh, Makwan Amir Khani against Danny Henry in the featherweight division. And uh, Leonardo Santos versus Roman Bogatov in the lightweight division. It's been a while since we've seen Leonardo Santos in there. And then uh, the early prelims, Marcin Tybura against Alexander Romanov. Uh, Haulian Paiva against the debuting Jalgas Jumagulov from Kazakhstan. Uh, Carol Rosa versus Vanessa Mello and Martin Day versus Davy Grant. Davy Grant back. Nice to see Davy Grant's name. Ultimate Fighter finalist from the uh, season between Rousey and Tate. And then we've got... Uh, and that fight's that card's on a Wednesday, so oh sorry, is that one on the Wednesday? No, sorry, that's uh that's two fifty one. Sorry, the Wednesday card. Where's that Wednesday card? Let me pull that up. Here we go, July fifteenth, Wednesday card. Right, uh, just days after 
that pay-per-view. They don't give us a moment to rest as we've got Calvin Cater taking on Dan Ige in the main event. That is a fun fight. That is a very fun fight with big implications in the featherweight division. Frankie Edgar taking on Pedro Munoz. Edgar making his bantamweight debut. Munoz recently said that uh, this was this was offered as a five-round fight, but Edgar wanted it to be a three-round fight, which I think is, is pretty smart. Uh, Carla Esparza against Marina Rodriguez, who uh, I spoke about previously. Rodriguez coming off a win against Tisha Torres. And uh, Esparza coming off a win against Michelle Waterson just a couple weeks ago. The return of uh, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, who was uh, found not guilty on, on charges uh, recently and has not fought since uh, that court case has been ongoing, and now he's he's back against Munir Lazez. I don't know much about Munir Lazez. I'm going to have to look in, into some, uh, some of his previous fights. I haven't had a chance to hit the archives for a lot of these debuting fighters just yet. Jared Gordon against Chris Fishgold is the final fight on the main card. Jared Gordon, who's uh, moved to Sanford MMA in Florida, along with uh, the likes of Kamaru Usman and uh, basically Henry Hoof's team. Chris Fishgold of the uh, the UK. The debut of fellow Lithuanian Modestus Bukowskis against Venetius Moheja. Moheja uh, has not yet won in the UFC. Molly McCann against Tyler Santos. Ricardo Hamosh against Lerone Murphy. That's a fun one. Murphy was supposed to fi- fight on that uh, card in London that got canceled. That featured... Uh, Tyron Woodley against Leon Edwards, a fight that never came into fruition. And John, the white Mike Tyson, Phillips, against Dusko Todorovic. Plus, Tim Elliott against Ryan Benoit. Uh, is it Benoit or Benoit? I think it's Benoit. Tim Elliott against Ryan Benoit. And uh, Diana Balbita versus Liano, Liana Jojua. I think Jojua trains actually in, uh, in southern Ontario, if I'm not mistaken. I think she trains with the folks at, uh, I'm not sure if it's Niagara, no, I don't think it's Niagara Top Team, it's uh, where Kyle Nelson trains, it's just in Stony Creek, I forget what the name of the team is, my apologies. And then Figueredo versus Benavides too for the vacant flyway championship, an opportunity for uh, one of these individuals to walk away with the flyway championship. Also on the card is uh, Alashange Pantoja against Askar Askarov. I imagine that Pantoja is probably going to be on standby for that main event. But uh, Figueredo against uh, Joseph Benavidez. That is in the main event. Jack Hermanson against Kelvin Gastelum, co-main event. That's a fun fight. I was surprised to see that Hermanson was ranked ahead of Gastelum, but I guess Gastelum's lost a tilt. Bumped him all the way down to seven in the middleweight division, even though I think talent-wise, he's probably a top three, four guy. Mark Diakizi against uh, Rafael Fiziev. Fiziev, uh, a heck of a striker. And so is Diakizi. Diakizi looked great in his last fight. Ariane Lipsky against Luana Carolina. Alashange Pantoja against Askar Askarov, as I mentioned, so that rounds out the uh, the main card. You've got uh, Roman Dolodze against Khadis Ibragimov, uh, uh, Grant Dawson versus Nadine Romani, Joe Duffy returning, taking on Joel Alvarez, uh, Brett Johns against Montel Jackson. That's a fun one in the bantamweight division. Tagir Ulan Ulan Bekov. I don't know anything about him or his opponent Alexander 
Toskalchuk. I'll have to do some research on those guys. Davi Hamos against Armin Saruki, and that's a fun fight. And Carlos Felipe against Sergei Spivak. So th- those are the cards up until July the 18th. I don't want to bore you and uh, go through every single fight, but uh, the July 25th card headlined by Robert Whitaker against Darren Till with the co-main event of Shogun Hua versus Antonio Rogerio Nogueira, the third incarnation of that particular fight, if I'm not mistaken. And the return of Alexander Gustafson taking on Fabrizio Verdum. So uh, a lot to look forward to in the month of July. The UFC really stacked up those Fight Island cards. A lot of intriguing matchups, some interesting debuts. So uh, we will see how those fights end up playing out. But uh, exciting times in the UFC. Just a lot to, uh, to look forward to right now. This topic always comes up. It's the Mount Rushmore of MMA. I was actually asked for my Mount Rushmore. Uh, by Dustin Nielsen out in Edmonton on his show. Him and uh, his crew do a great job out there. But Dana White gave his Mount Rushmore, I think he was, I can't remember who he was on with. I'll, I'll look this up because I don't want to, I want to make sure they get I think it was with the Schmo actually. It was, he was in, in studio with the Schmo. That was a great interview if you haven't heard it yet. The Schmo interviewing, the Schmo and uh, Helen Yee interviewing Dana White. And uh, his, he gave his uh, MMA Mount Rushmore. So let's break this one down. His MMA Mount Rushmore. Hoist Gracie. Amanda Nunes. John Jones. And Chuck Liddell. So no Conor McGregor. No Forrest Griffin, who he said he considered. No Anderson Silva. No GSP. Interesting. I can't remember who I had on my Mount Rushmore. I think I had John Jones, GSP... And I think I might have had Ronda Rousey and Dana White, but I can't remember. And I had Rousey up there just because of uh, her contributions to making it women's MMA what it is today. It might have also been Nunez. I can't remember offhand. You'll have to go back and find uh, in the archives of TSN Radio Edmonton. But uh, I think Dana White belongs up there based on how much he's grown this sport and made it such a mainstream phenomenon. Not him alone, but I mean he is the uh, the face of the UFC. So uh, we will uh, continue to cover all of these events. I'm looking forward to doing more hits on, uh, on SportsCenter following each of these events. Uh, I do want to touch, ba- touch back on uh, last weekend's card. We had uh, Cynthia Calvillo versus Jessica I. And uh, that was, a, that was a, a card that on paper didn't look great but did deliver some fun fights. And I think it's okay to say that a fight doesn't look like a car doesn't look good on paper. And you have the right to watch it or not watch it. It's up to you. But what I do think you have to acknowledge is that every UFC card has the capacity to have great fights and have fun finishes and interesting things happen. And that was uh, apparent in the first three fights on the card, which all ended within in less than a minute. You had Christian Aguilera knocking out Anthony Ivey, Tyson Nam knocking out Zaruk Adashev in 32 seconds, and Julia Avila knocking out, or earning a TKO, rather, against Gina Mazzani in just 22 seconds. So it's the first time in UFC history that there have been three fights in a row that have gone less than a minute in length. So uh, kudos to all of them. We saw Murad Davalashvili look very good against Gustavo Lopez, but I think Gustavo Lopez has a solid future. I mean, he was certainly out of his element, and facing a guy like Murad Davalashvili on short notice can't be easy. You basically have to be able to stuff, like, constant takedown defense, relentless... Just a relentless pressure fight for three rounds against a guy who I think is is really the dark horse of the division. I know that 
he doesn't he's he's not great at maintaining control, but he's great at taking people down immediately after. Like as soon as they get up, he takes them right back down. He has no trouble getting it to the mat. It's just keeping it on the mat. He hasn't been able to perfect. But Mirab Devalashvili looks like a a real problem in that division. Now here's one that I want to bring up because Maria Agapova beat Hannah Cyphers in uh, two minutes and forty two seconds uh, via rear naked choke. And it looked like a lopsided fight, and everybody was talking about how Agapova looks like future Joanna and Jacek. She's the future of the division. Let's pump the brakes a little bit here, because this was a flyweight fight. Hannah Cyphers has fought at Atomweight before, and she's tiny for the strawweight division. You have her move up to flyweight? I think if you have somebody of that length against Hannah Cyphers in the flyweight division, they're going to look good. Like they have, It's very easy to look good against someone fighting out of their weight class. I think Hannah Cyphers is a good fighter at strawweight. I mean, she, she's shown... She's gotten wins in the UFC. But to put her up against a debuting fighter at flyweight, who I think does have a bright future, but it's easy to look good against somebody who's taking a short-notice fight up a weight class when they're just way smaller than their opponent. I mean, the size differential. Watch the stare-down. The size differential for that fight was crazy. That was a fight that uh, I don't know if they should have they should have put that one together. I'm sure they could have found someone else for Agapova to face. I mean... Montana Delarosa was at the event. Like she was cornering Mark Delarosa. Was she not available? Maybe she's injured. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, you know, say that she could have fought. I don't know. I don't know the circumstances, but she was there. Uh, Jordan Espinoza defeats Mark Delarosa. Es- Espinoza has waterbug speed. He is fast. He's probably the fastest guy in the UFC. And if he can have performances like that where he puts it all together, he's going to be a tough guy to beat at flyweight. I know this fight was at bantamweight, but. Espinoza is, uh, he's a talented kid. He really is. I mean, the problem is some sometimes people are able to stifle him. And if he, he can't use his speed, get like full advantage out of his speed, he can face problems. But I think he's got a really bright future. Andre Feely against Charles Jordan. Split decision win for Andre Feely. Most people thought Feely won this fight. But I was uh, I was actually, I saw Joe Valtellini a couple days ago. And he said he thought that uh, Jordan won that fight. He thought that Jordan had the, was much better in the striking exchanges, landed bigger shots. And the thing that I mentioned was that when you're a judge and you see how Jordan absorbs punches, and Jordan absorbs punches by moving away from them in order to minimize the impact, and that's what you're supposed to do in martial arts. And Joe was talking me through this as well. Like, if, But the problem is Jordan looks like he's getting hit really hard, but instead he's just trying to minimize the impact. So it looks worse than it is. He's actually absorbing less damage, but it looks like he's absorbing more damage. And with judges... They go based on what they see. You know, some some of them just don't know that that is a way that you can absorb punches and take less damage. So they see somebody absorb a blow like that, and they think that they're getting more hurt than they are. Jordan was landing great leg kicks, solid kicks all around, and I'm not making an argument that Jordan won because I scored it for Feely personally, but... And Jordan scored it for Feely. I mean, Jordan was confused as to how one of the judges gave it to him, but that was uh, what Joe Valtellini said. He said that he, when watching it, he thought Jordan looked like the better of the fighters in the fight. And he says him and uh, he's close with Andre Feely. He's close with Jordan. He doesn't really have a strong bias either way in this fight. But uh, he just thought that Jordan uh, did more in terms of the striking and and did more damage and landed more effective strikes. Uh, Charles Rosa defeats Kevin Aguilar by split decision. Marvin Vittori submits Carl Roberson in the first round. Roberson misses weight again, and uh, Vittori was fired up, as he always is. You know, they call Iwan uh, Kutalaba the Hulk. Vittori is like the, the middleweight Hulk. 
I'd love to watch a debate between those two guys. Just get them in suits and just get them to scream at each other. Although Iwan doesn't speak a lot of English. Cynthia Calvillo, of course, in the main event against Jessica I gets it done. 49-46, 49-46, 48-47. I had it 49-46 for Calvillo. I gave I the first round, then Calvillo two through five. Uh, Calvillo looks like she's going to be a contender in this division. And uh, I thought that she looked really good. Her grappling is up there with a lot of those uh, in the division. And uh, I'm interested to see what's next for her. I think she'll fight the winner of tonight's or tomorrow night's bout rather against uh, Roxanne Modafferi and Lauren Murphy. Some other uh, news: Rachel Ostevich suspended for a year, uh, retroactive to January. Uh, he failed a uh, drug test. Lyman Good fighting uh, this weekend against uh, Bilal Muhammad uh, mentioned that his father passed away recently. And uh, condolences to Lyman Good and his family. And we saw how Cody Stamen performed when his younger brother died suddenly. And we'll see if Lyman Good uh, is able to score a win with that kind of emotion. That's very difficult to do. So uh, a lot of interesting things to come in the UFC right now. There's not any really big overarching stories at the moment that we can look at. Um, you know, we've... We're kind of, you know, the news about Masvidal not taking the fight and all of the money issues haven't been mentioned much this week. Of course, it's an ongoing issue. One thing that's come up is uh, Joe Silva. Joe Silva's name has resurfaced. A lot of former fighters telling stories about Joe Silva having it in for them and uh, not uh, giving them a fair shake and disrespecting them. And uh, yesterday, people thought I was coming to Joe Silva's defense when I said, you know, I said, I'm not letting Silva off the hook for this, but being a matchmaker sounds like an impossible job. And I'm telling you, like, there's no amount of money you can pay me to make to do that job. People were responding and being like, oh, it's easy. All you're doing is matching up two fighters. How, you know, you get to sit at home all day. Uh-uh-uh. No, 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 no. The matchmakers are at almost every single event. They're on their phones pretty much 24-7 around the clock. You never know when someone's going to pull out of a fight. And then they've got to get someone on short notice, have people lined up as short notice replacements, uh, have to offer people new contracts to join the UFC. Like, that's a nightmare job. I would never want that job. And Joe Silva was the only one doing it during his time. Um, now, should he have been strong-arming the fighters? Should he have been um, putting them in positions to fail because he didn't like them? Those are things that are definitely inexcusable. My only point was that that job sucks. <laughs> like being a UFC matchmaker must suck. I've I've had very short conversations with Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby. You know we're we're not really uh, supposed to interview them. You know we can chat with them and and whatnot. But you know they've always been very pleasant with me. But God, that job is uh, that's that's not a fun job. That is not a fun job. Having to negotiate all these these contracts and I know that Hunter Campbell at the top uh, negotiates a lot of the the major contracts, but. Yeah, that job is uh is not does not look like a lot of fun. I would uh, I would not be eager to take that job if it was offered to me. I don't know what how much it would like how much they'd have to offer me to to basically give up my life and do that job. I don't know. I don't know how much uh Mick Maynard always seems to have a smile on his face. He's always very like happy and <laughs> I don't know how he can keep such a positive outlook on life. Kudos to Mick Maynard. <laughs> And I'm not trying to say that Sean Shelby is uh, is not uh, you know doesn't smile from time to time. He certainly doesn't look as happy as Mick Maynard does all the time. Mick Maynard's always smiling, always shaking hands with everybody. So uh, I don't know how he has that kind of sunny outlook on life, but uh, kudos to him for having it. All right, let's get to our interviews. Let's start off with Curtis Blades. He's headlining this card. 
against Alexander Volkov, a, a very, very fun fight between two of the top heavyweights in the world today. And he joins me now on the TSN MMA show. He is in the main event of UFC Fight Night, Blades versus Volkov. He is Curtis Blades in Denver, Colorado, uh, preparing for this particular fight. So Volkov, he's an opponent you haven't beaten yet, but you're starting to run through the heavyweight division pretty quickly. And the heavyweight division is going to be, I guess, the, everything's going to be settled in a couple of months. Are you excited about that? Yeah, I mean, I was really happy to hear that they actually got a date and the, the contracts were in and it's official. That means, that means that we can... We as a division can begin projecting and and like tr- tracking our trajectories, what we want to do in the future. It was really helpful. Well, if Cormier's retirement was certain, uh, now suddenly there's a bit of a curveball because there's rumors that this might be Stipe's last fight too. So if that happens, where do you think the heavyweight uh, division stands? Uh, it'll be a vacant belt, and it'll be me. After I beat uh, Alexander Volkov, it'll be me versus Ngannou, most likely. And so a third fight once again. Um, are, is this thing you're looking forward to? Another fight with Francis? Obviously, the, f- the first two didn't go your way, and uh, now you'll get another crack at him. Yeah, of course. I mean, a lot of people view Ngannou as like this ex- extremely scary human being, but I guess I have a different perspective because I've already been in there with him twice, and I'm not scared of him. Like The last one, he, he caught me on the button. It happens. Yeah, that's kind of the interesting thing about Francis. Like, before, if you're going to get into the cage with him for the first time, I mean, when you did, people barely knew who he was. Now everybody knows who he is, but you've been in there with him twice, so it's not quite as daunting a task because you you felt the guy, you know what, what it's all, all about. Yeah. The, it, I think it helps having the experience. Um, I think after, when we do get in there again, because I, I knew this was inevitable even after... Even after the Beijing uh, fight, I knew I would, I would have to face him again. Um, I think he knows that also because I'm, on, I'm only 29. He's only like five years older than me, so I'm gonna be here a long time. I've got eight, nine more years. I don't know how many more years he's got, but I knew this was inevitable. One of my favorite facts is that Francis is actually older than Jose Aldo. Did you know that? I didn't. Jose looks older though. <laughs> I know, that's why it's a fun fact, because Francis is relatively new, I guess, all things considered, and Jose's been around forever. Yeah, Jose's had a long, long, long career. He's, he's an OG. Well, speaking of Jose, in the bantamweight division, your teammate Corey Sanhagen had a rough night at the office back at UFC 250. Have you spoken to him since then? Yeah, we're actually um, we're going to hang out this weekend. We're going to play some outdoor games and just... I know he's... He's real, real good about like removing the the n- negativity out of his brain like re- really fast. I know he's he's already over. He's already moved on. He's ready to get back in the gym and 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 uh, continue improving. Yeah, he's a really thoughtful guy. I really like talking to Corey because he's always good at compartmentalizing different things in his life. Yeah. He was actually talking about uh, how he was. Um, trying to avoid watching the news during his fight week because it like affected him so deeply that he needed to kind of block it out. And I guess now he's probably um, getting, you know, more reinvested in, in uh, you know, he's, he's very into social action. So I'm sure that that's something that has affected him pretty deeply as, as well as yourself, obviously. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you got to, that's a part of the job. You got to be able to, like you said, uh, compartmentalize and focus on the task at hand, almost have blinders on, you know, like, I'm I'm worried about beating Alexander, and that's that's really 
that's all I have to think about for the next eight days. Your father was actually a police officer. So do you see things from a bit of a different perspective? Yeah, my dad's a police officer in Chicago. My younger brother is also a Chicago police officer. And my older brother is a Dallas police officer. So I I get it. I get both sides. I want I want my family to come home every night. Then again, I also view I also understand the views of the protesters and the rioters. Like it's been a lot of injustice by every cop, but a few cops is enough. As a few bad apples is too many bad apples, and they need to be need to be dealt with. And I guess protesting right now is the only way to get to get people's uh, attention. I think it's worked. I think. After what happened to George, uh, George Floyd, I think everyone's eyes have really, really been open because I think we all, everyone in this country has has known for a long time that uh, the black black community has been, I wouldn't say under attack, but under pressure from police for as long as this country's been been a, um, a country. What have you kind of conversations have you had with the members of your family uh, over this time? I don't I know you're focusing on Alexandra, but any of them and and kind of gotten what their view of everything is. I mean, uh, like, like I said, they're also black also. So they understand the, the grievance and and the anger, the hurt. They they disagree with what that police officer did. Also, they they think that man is a monster like everyone else does. So they're. They're not angry, but they understand that their job has be, become harder because now they're looked at as the enemy, even though they're black police officers, they're still police officers. And a lot of people aren't going to differentiate between a white cop and a black cop right now. As, as awful as it, is, it sounds, a lot of people are, are just anti-cop. I'm not anti-cop. I know we need police officers. That's what I'm going to call us. Someone breaks into my house. I'm gonna call call the police. I'm not against the police, but it does it worries me that if I'm walking outside at nighttime, walking my dog, that someone might think I'm up to no good. I am a, a large black man in a predominantly white area, and that worries me. I don't want to get the police called on me and end up in a situation that could potentially go way, way, way left and and with me losing my life. Yeah, it's a, a very uh, troubling situation. It seems like you have, uh, you know, the ability to be able to see this from both both vantage points because you have members of your family, which I think gives you a really interesting perspective on it because um, you, you can see that uh, members of your family are being lumped in with um, the police officers who are, I guess, li- like you mentioned, being protested right now. Yeah, it's it's a weird, weird time right now. And I'm I'm praying that, that this this gets resolved like fairly soon. I know it's been about two or three weeks since uh, George's death, and and I think the riots have gone down, but the protests are going up, which I don't have a problem with. Like peaceful protests, we can do those all all year. We can do those all year as long as they're peaceful. You're getting your point across that we want justice, we want reform, we want things to get better, but we don't want to. We don't want to cause violence along the way. We just want our voices to be heard. Well, you say you think you hope that there's a resolution, but um, what kind of a resolution could be met in your opinion? Well, first thing, 
I think all four of those police officers need to go to jail. All of them. Everyone that was involved, the the Asian cop who was in the front, the main cop who was on the guy's neck, and then the other two that were on his back and his legs. I think they should all be charged. They should all go to jail. Well, that would certainly be a good start. So um, to, to go back to your upcoming fight against Volkov, um, what, what do you see in him as an opponent? What, what advantages do you think you'll have over him? And what do you think that he might do better than you? Um, I think I'm the better grappler. Uh, I think I have the better conditioning. And I think I'm used, I'm used to the grind. I'm used to grinding out t- tough uh, fights. I know he likes space. He wants to use his his, uh, his t- teeps and his kicks. Um, I know he's long. I think our reach is, is equal. I think we're both 80-inch reach guys. And uh, I I think he's he probably he's better at, like, keeping range. I like the pressure. I think he likes to go backwards a little bit more. So I think my biggest advantages are the grappling and the conditioning. Well, you say he likes the space. Another advantage you have is the small cage. I'm sure that if they let you fight in a small cage for every fight, you'd want that. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the 25-foot cage is pretty much a grappler's wet dream because guys don't have as much room to maneuver. They don't have as much room to run away. Like, I, I think back to my other fights against guys, my last one, Junior, he was able to to maneuver a lot, run away a lot, get away from my takedowns. I think had we had that at the apex, had we thought of the apex center, I think I would have gotten the takedown earlier in the first round and been able to implement my game plan. And before we wrap up, one thing I'm very curious about is your shirt. I see your name on it. What are the other names? Oh, you're looking. Uh, uh, this is my high school uh, wrestle, and this is just all the guys that ever went down state and all the guys that placed, all the guys that won. And you still have the shirt, and the shirt still fits you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I still have it, and it still fits me. I haven't gained that much weight. <laughs> That's a throwback. I, I, I want one of those shirts, but I guess I have to be on the team, and I probably have to get in the time machine. Yeah, yeah these are the OGs. <laughs> they, don't even, they don't even make these no more. <laughs> all right, Curtis, well, I appreciate your time. Best of luck against Alexander Volkov next weekend. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me back on the show. That was Curtis Blades, and now I'm joined by Canadian Jillian Robertson, who takes on Courtney Casey. That should be a fun one, and uh, hopefully her or Marc-Andre Barrio can break the spell. No Canadians winning at the Apex. It seems like the uh, there's a Canadian curse in that building, so let's get that curse broken. This is Jillian Robertson on the TSN MMA Show. I'm now joined by Canada's own Jillian Robertson, facing Courtney Casey at UFC Fight Night this weekend. How are you, Jillian? I'm doing great. You know, out here in Vegas, just ready to uh, get this week started with. So Courtney is a newcomer to the flyweight division. She looked great in her first fight. It was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, what have you learned about Courtney from watching that fight? Um, it, that fight is actually against one of my old teammates, Mata. And, uh, so it's like I was definitely watching it while it happened live. And uh, I know she's confident on her back, but uh, I'm a different type of animal on the ground. So uh, she won't want to get there with me, you know? Yeah, she actually looks great on the ground as well, but uh, based on your experience, what we've seen from you, that's probably not a great idea in, in this particular instance. Oh, 100%. No, uh, no matter what, I'm confident on the ground. When, as soon as the fight gets there, it's my world. So it, uh, it'll just be her trying to swim. 
So you mentioned she's your former teammate. I know you've gone through some changes because Dean Thomas has uh, left American Top Team and he's your, your coach. So how have your training conditions changed? Uh, my training conditions have changed 100%. A lot of it had to do with uh, COVID, obviously. That's just been a, a huge issue just with getting training partners, not being able to interact with as many people. And um, Dean and I have really just been working out of a garage in Florida, but uh, I've never felt more ready for a fight. So the Dean, I guess, doesn't have a home base as of yet? Uh, right. Well, yes and no. We Our home base is his uh, garage. He rented out a house in uh, where I actually grew up, Port St. Lucie, Florida. So we have a little uh, house there now in a matted out garage and uh, he's just going to train fighters out of there. So that's our new home base. So where's Port, Port St. Lucie compared to where you were training before? Well, it's about an hour and a half north of Coconut Creek. Okay, so have you mo relocated, I guess, to that area? Yes, uh, actually, I grew up in Port St. Lucie. Like, I started there, and uh, Dean used to have two schools up there. So when I was 16, I started training up there in Port St. Lucie. And then he moved down to Coconut Creek, so I followed him down there, and now he moved back up, so we're back up here. You know, it's funny. Two weeks ago, Felicia Spencer uh, fought in the main event against your uh, another former teammate, Amanda Nunez. Uh, she's similar to you. She's kind of like a Florida transplant from Canada. Uh, what did you think of her performance? I, you know, obviously, Amanda Nunez is not an easy uh, to defeat. Uh, she went all five rounds, and I was curious uh, of your thoughts on that particular performance. Uh, I've always rooted for Felicia simply because of that. You know, we're both uh, Canadian-born, Florida-raised girls, so we got a lot of common. But um, it's it's Amanda Nunes, you know? Like, I'm just, I'm surprised that Felicia's that tough. Like, nobody hits harder than Amanda, and Amanda obviously looked phenomenal that night, but... Felicia is one tough girl to be able to go five rounds with Amanda and able to go five rounds with Cyborg, too. You know, Dana White recently said he's planning on building up the 145 division because he wants to keep Amanda Nunes interested. Uh, there's not much more for her to do in this sport. Yeah, no, I don't see any. Like, she says she wanted to retire, and I 100% uh, support her in that. Like, retire on top. You got nobody to challenge you. You've defended both your belts. You're the only, like, male or female to do that in history to be able to have hold both belts and defend them both at the exact same time. And then, uh, yeah, there's really not much more for her to do. There's no girls coming up in the Bantamweight division. There's not really, there is no uh, flat, I mean, uh, featherweight division. Like the 45 division is like two or three girls right now. So, um, yeah, I don't see why she wouldn't retire. She's happy and she's on top. You know, if you were to look at the people in the Bantamweight and featherweight division right now, that would be the most competitive with Amanda Nunes. I think Felicia Spencer is like number one or number two on that list. And that's just how good Amanda Nunes is because that fight wasn't close. Oh, yeah, there's. The only girl that I see even challenging Amanda right now is uh, our champ, the 25-pound champ, Valentina. That's the only girl who's brought her, who's given her close fights, you know? Well, she's uh, got her hands full right now because there are a lot of upcoming flyweights like yourself, including Cynthia Calvillo, who you've previously faced uh, this past weekend. She defeats number one, Jessica I. Now she's number two in the rankings. Caitlin Jukagian, who has already fought Shevchenko, number one in the rankings. So uh, the, we know that uh, Joanne Calderwood has the next shot. Uh, as long as they book that against Valentina Shevchenko. But do you feel like Cynthia Calvillo is now in a position to get a title shot? I feel like she's in a position to get the title shot now. I don't know if she necessarily deserves it. I feel like um, she was kind of handed that position, you know? I don't necessarily feel like Jessica I is the greatest opponent. And, um, uh, yeah, Cynthia was just given a number one girl coming up after missing weight twice. So it's like, I feel like she's just been handed a lot, and I don't think she necessarily deserves the spot. I feel like it should be the, um, this weekend, there's going to be Lauren Murphy and Roxanne Monteferi. The winner of that should get the uh, shot next. 
Well, I know that since you faced Cynthia, it was a short-notice fight when you faced her. This was long before you were in the UFC. I feel like that's a good stylistic matchup for you because Cynthia likes to grapple. That's your bread and butter. If you got an exciting win this weekend, is that a name that might be on the tip of your tongue if you're asked who you want to face next? Oh, yeah. It's like when I fought Cynthia, it was five days' notice. So uh, I can only imagine how to do with a full fight camp with her, you know? Like, we had a close fight back then, and it'll be like... I, I just really, like, like I said, I feel like she was given that spot. She was given the number one spot, and I feel like I deserve it. So I'd love to be able to call her out after this. So we've had two Canadian-born fighters in the last two cards. We had Felicia, who we discussed, and Charles Jordan, who I thought looked great against Andre Feely. But neither have come, uh, come out on top. We've got two opportunities this weekend. It's yourself and Marc-Andre Berrio. Uh, are you excited to try to break that streak? I know that Canada is waiting for that elusive win at the UFC Apex. I'm ready to break that streak, you know. Uh, this is what I was born to do. This is what I was made to do. So I'm getting my hand raised at the end of this week, no matter what. Make Canada proud. We haven't even had a contender series winner at the UFC Apex. It's like a, a Canada curse there. We need you to break that curse. I'm ready to do that. <laughs> <laughs> this card was supposed to be in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Uh, did you know anything about Saskatoon, I guess, when you were booked on that particular card? And who was your original opponent? I'm having trouble remembering. Uh, my original opponent was Talia Santos, who actually just got matched up with Molly McCann, which is going to be a dope fight. I'm excited for that matchup now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I didn't know much about Saskatoon. I know it's Canada. I know that I was going to be, I was happy to be able to perform in front of, like, uh, my home country again. You know, uh, first time I did it, it was in Edmonton uh, last year, and I... It, it's just an absolutely insane feeling with the vibes out there and the, having the crowd support you. Every fight that I ever had before this, like every pro fight I ever had was in my opponent's hometown. So it's like I was so used to getting booed and like nobody was ever cheering for me. In Brazil, they cheer, they're like chanting, you will die. But um, to be in front of the Canadian crowd and have that hometown support is just insane. You know, it's funny because Felicia Spencer said the same thing when she first fought in Rochester, which is very close to the Canadian border. Uh, when she had the Canadian flag, she had like this whole contingent of fans supporting her and cheering for her and sending her all these supportive messages that she said, well, I'm going to own this. You know, like I'm from Canada. I'm born there and everybody's really supporting me. So that's when she started to really identify with being uh, a Canadian born fighter. Oh, yeah. It, it used, you, like I said, the vibes are just different out there. You feel it when you're in the cage. You feel everything. And it's just... Like, I don't mind being the underdog. I usually always am going into my opponent's hometowns, but it, it's definitely a different feeling when you got the uh, the crowd cheering for you. What do you think of how the flyweight division has gone, um, how it's gone on so far, how it's progressed? Um, do you see anybody right now at the top of the division that you think could give Valentina Shevchenko a real fight? Um, honestly, no. <laughs> I feel like right now she's just, uh, she's so far ahead of a lot of these girls, and uh, you're gonna in the next couple of years. It'll be the up and comers that you're gonna look at, like me, Montana De La Rosa, Macy Barber, all these young girls who are coming up. Who you constantly see us improve through every single fight. Where a lot of the other girls is like they're just not at her level, and they're getting up there in age, or they're like they're close to her age or older. So it's like they just don't have the uh, they're not evolving the same, and they don't have the time to catch up. What did you think of Macy Barber's last fight against uh, Roxanne Modafferi? I know she's your uh, previous opponent. Uh, that fight was, was very interesting. She fought through an injury, and uh, I think that she was very close to getting a title shot. Had she beaten Roxanne, she would have been right there. But uh, what, were your, what were your thoughts on that particular fight? Um, I guess I wish my fight could have went like that with her. Um, she, uh, uh, like, Roxanne looked great out there, and obviously Macy was battling through an injury, but 
uh, Roxy was dominant, and that's why I feel like her and Lauren Murphy deserve the title shot, you know? Like, whoever wins that fight, they've both, both been on tears lately, and both those girls deserve it. It's hard to cheer against Roxanne Modafferi. She's just so nice. <laughs> were you on Tough with her? I can't remember. Yes, I was. I was both those girls, Lauren Murphy and Roxy, were both in the house with me. <laughs> and what was that experience like for you? Because you were one of the youngest people in the house at that time. Um, did you make any friends that you're still in contact with from uh, that experience? Uh, all the Team Gagey girls, we still have like a group chat where we occasionally talk to each other and stuff, but uh, no one I'm necessarily like really close with. But uh, probably the person I was closest with in the house is Nico Montano. It's like we'll message each other every once in a while, but uh, no one I'm talking to daily still, you know? She just got a fight announced today, Nico. Oh, she did? Yeah, it's Julia Avila who competed this past weekend. Oh, wow, that's a good matchup. And uh, they're both scrappers. Uh, that's actually a really interesting matchup. <laughs> yeah, it's actually a rematch from several years ago. They, they, uh, I don't even know who won that fight, but I know that they did fight uh, back uh, in the day. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm super excited for that matchup. After seeing uh, her perform, she fought Gina last weekend, and uh, I'm a huge fan of Gina, but uh, Julie Alva looked great. It, she just went out there and dominated, and I know Nico's a scrapper. Nico's down to stay in the pocket, and just she's good everywhere, too. She's good wrestling, good stand-up, good jujitsu. so that should be a really interesting matchup. Yeah, she's kind of become underrated because everybody um, was, I guess, so down on her after she won the belt and they said that she didn't want to face Valentina and all of this stuff. But uh, if people actually look at the skills that she brings to the table, she's very talented and it's going to be exciting to see uh, how she does in that particular fight. No, I feel like uh, the UFC's kind of painted a bad, bad name around her in a little bit. Like, she, uh, after she won, well, obviously to win the title, she beat all the best girls in the house. She beat Lauren Murphy. She beat Roxy. She beat Barb. It's like, all these girls who were coming in expected to win. She was taking them out. And um, it was just, she went through a lot of medical issues after, you know, just like cutting weight three times. I know she had a lot of problems with her immune system and she just, uh, I feel like she couldn't get back to the cage and the UFC just wanted to push that title fight. So I feel like she kind of got a bad name around it. And then whenever she did move up in weight, she got thrown to the killers getting Juliana Pena first. And she actually, I believe, did pretty well in that first round, if I recall. Yeah, she did. It was just, like, Juliana is one of the top girls in the division, so to get her as, uh, as like, as you're welcoming to that division is a little rough. And Julia, who's, who's on a tear right now. Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> All right, Jillian, well, uh, great speaking with you. Best of luck against Courtney Casey this weekend. Uh, make Canada proud. Break that streak at the apex. We, we need you. Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. All right, thanks to our guest this week. Curtis Blades, Jillian Robertson. Uh, next week, Joe will be rejoining me on the show. Uh, and again, uh, my deep condolences to Joe and the uh, friends and fair family of uh, Derek Salvatin on his passing. Uh, very tragic situation. And again, thanks to everybody who donated to the GoFundMe and, and uh, shared that link. It's really appreciated. I was uh, with his son, Kai, this week, who lost his father. Kai's a great, great kid. Has a very sunny outlook, very you know smiling, and you know even even though the circumstances are horrible for him, he's you know has a brave face on and uh, just a nice kid. And uh, you know you're you're not only helping uh, Derek's parents who lost their their child, but uh, also Kai who lost his father. So again, thanks to those sharing the other uh, GoFundMe link, and uh, we'll be back next week. Really appreciate you tuning in uh, to the TSN MMA show. Next week we'll break down Poirier versus Hooker.